Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Um, if you're new especially, we want to catch you up a little bit. Uh, but if you have been here, it's kind of a little bit of review at the beginning. We're in a series called Who Needs God? And uh, I want to thank you all for the support I've gotten because this series is different than anything else we've done. Because normally I talk to our regulars. And uh, if you're not, then you can listen in. But this series is different because we've been talking to the folks that are skeptics, the folks that don't know if they buy this stuff. They they, they don't know if they believe all this this God stuff. And so this series is is to help uh, address you and friends of ours that might fit in that category. Um, People that feel like it's just irreconcilable, their life, their experiences, their problems, uh, are just irreconcilable with the God that they understand or learned or was taught about. And uh, so our goal is for you to give a f- fresh view uh, of Christianity, what it's really about or should be about. And our goal is for you to reconsider and, and even possible to come back to faith or begin uh, a faith walk. And whatever your objections are, uh, we're sure they're valid. Um, and we would say it this way, if we were in your shoes, if we had had your experiences uh, in life, we would probably feel the same way. So what happens is we get caught between these two, I won't say extremes, but these two points of doubt or despair. Now we all have doubts, but some of you have serious doubts about this whole Christianity thing, God thing, and so forth. But if we talked about it in the first week, if you, if you walk away from Christianity, what you're walking toward is atheism. And most of atheism is probably, it brings about despair to most of us. There's no really us, there's no real free will, etc., etc. And so that, that's kind of discouraging, negative, brings about despair. But just so many doubts about this Christianity thing. So we say you're, some of you are stuck in the middle. And so you're trying to... Uh, uh, live your life the best you can between those, those two points. Uh, society has given you a name, a label. You're called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, because you're non-affiliated. You're not affiliated, you're not throwing your hat in the Christian realm, and you're not throwing your hat in the atheist realm. So, um, kind of between doubt and despair. Now, second week we talked about some false ideas or impressions of God. We called it gods of the New Testament. These are ideas about God that we would say aren't true, like good things won't happen to, bad things won't happen to good people. And so bad things happen, so there's no good God. Well, that's not, that's not <laughs> true. That's just not a view of God that you should have. One that really bugs me is the idea that you can either have faith or science, but you can't have both. And I don't believe that's true. But sometimes the church gives that impression. Then last week we talked about the Bible tells me so. And basically we're just saying that Christianity came before the Bible. Or at least the New Testament. And uh, so if there's something in the Bible that you may object to or don't understand, that's perfectly fine. Let's just figure out what we, the starting point, where we have to start in our faith. Uh, The New Testament especially documents something that happened. And we talked about how it's almost overwhelming evidence. <clears throat> now, the interesting thing was Jesus came along and said about his scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish scriptures. He said, uh, he, he'd read part of it and said, that's talking about me. <laughs> that's about me. Now, 
Can you imagine me get up here and read a Bible and say it's talking about me? You'd think I was crazy, right? And uh, worse than that, they thought he would, it would be blasphemy to say he was God, unless it was true, right? And so Jesus would say these things, and some of his people that become his followers because they say, yeah, you, you seem to line up with what I'm reading in my, in my, my Old Testament, my Jewish scriptures. It seems to line up, and so people started following until the crucifixion. And after the crucifixion, how many followers did Jesus have? None, all right? He was dead. <laughs> there was nobody to follow. Uh, end of story, right? It was over until three days later when he was resurrected. And then he ha- his followers came back, you might say. <clears throat> uh, why the Old Testament? Why the interest? The early church had interest in the Old Testament, partly because some of them were Jewish, and that was the only scriptures they had. But the big reason was it, it, it pointed to Jesus. And I'm going to give you an example. We're not going to read it, but you can look it up later. We'll give it to you for homework. There's a part of the Bible called Isaiah, and there's a chapter 53 in Isaiah. And if you just sat down and read it and then thought, well, who is this talking about? It, it, it's almost, like I said, it just brings up almost a smile to my face when I read it because this was written 700 years before Jesus. But it so accurately describes Jesus. Nobody else I could think of except for Jesus. <clears throat> and so the early church had Jewish scriptures that they uh, adopted. And we call it Old Testament. Another way to talk about it is the Old Covenant. This is the way God did things then. And now there's a new covenant. Jesus brought this new thing along. And not that they contradicted that, but Jesus fulfilled it and completed it. And so now we got a, a better picture or a clearer picture of God. Now, the reason we take the Old Testament seriously is because Jesus did. Uh, it's not on your outline, we'll put it on the screen. Uh, it was his Bible. Uh, and he quoted from it all the time. And he'd get up, I'd quote from the Bible, I'm put on the screen, it could be Old Testament, New Testament. But all he could use was Old Testament. And uh, it was corrected. Uh, he quoted mostly from the Psalms. And secondly, he quoted from Deuteronomy, these parts of the Old Testament, that he would uh, talk about. And again, they, he said they pointed to me. But here's my question for you. If we had no Old Testament, it just kind of disappeared, would it destroy your faith? Those of you who are faith, if you're not, we're glad that you're here. We're talking to you this morning. But would it destroy your faith? Would it, you know, uh, I don't think so. I wouldn't mind. Um, so if you have a problem with something in the Old Testament, that could be valid. But don't let it destroy your faith. And don't let it destroy seeking out faith. <clears throat> the reality is, first century church, people who followed Jesus, followed after the resurrection, not because the Bible said so, but because of the resurrection because this thing had happened. They actually saw it. Jesus was said he, who he said he was. He was the Messiah that this Old Testament scripture uh, pointed to. Last week, it's, the evidence is almost overwhelming. Uh, the big mystery of, uh, of the first three centuries of history is that the church would become the predominant religion of the Roman Empire after it was persecuted for 300 years. Can't explain it. Now, part of the problem is this. I think as a church, as the church, we project this idea that you have to have faith in faith. 
You know, it's, you turn your brain off. You know, you just got to believe this stuff. Now, I don't believe that, and I don't think we should teach that. In fact, the first century church, they weren't just trying to believe stuff. They were actually following something, believing something they actually saw with their eyes, a resurrected Jesus. So sometimes we think Christianity is this fragile thing that, you know, find something that seems to go against science that you can't believe anymore. It's anything but that. If it survived the first century, it can survive anything. So today, let's jump into today. We're going to talk about the God of Jesus. And we're trying to, try to make this argument, and it starts with this. What Jesus said about himself turned out to be trustworthy. So Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to suffer and die, then I'm going to be resurrected. All right? He told, said a lot of other things, and uh, turned out to be true. So if somebody tells you a bunch of stuff and it turns out to be true, then the next thing they tell you or something else they tell you, you tend to believe it. For example, I've known my wife a long time, over 40 years. If she tells me something, I believe it, unless she got it off the Internet. All right? She just tends to sometimes believe that stuff. And I don't want to bust your bubble, but not everything on the Internet is true. Okay? <laughs> but what Jesus said was true. He never said anything that wasn't true. So... I'm going to encourage you to at least start with a clean slate. Whatever you thought about God, thought about Christianity, just kind of set it aside. So if Jesus is trustworthy, trustworthy, what did he say about God? All right, clean slate. What are we going to find out about God? Where do we want to start? All right, put it on your outline. So what Jesus said about God could be trusted. What he said about himself could be trusted. What he said was true. So... Whatever else he said, especially about God, we should also at least initially trust, unless we have some reason not to. <clears throat> so, we're going to look at something John wrote. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He's, you know, he hung out with Jesus all that time. Jesus you know, would teach him, and he, he saw the things that Jesus did. Now, we're going to look at something written in John 14. Now, I didn't start in verse 6. Verse 6 is pretty important, but I didn't want to get stuck there this morning. <laughs> In verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And some people have some objections to that. Uh, one, you know, that, you know, I have my truth, you have your truth, that, you know, subjective truth that we live in our society today. But in most areas of life, there is no subjective truth. There's truth is truth. Science, math, so forth. Truth is truth. It's provable. It's, it's fact. Now, I understand in moral issues and religion, there might be some question, but Jesus said, I'm the truth. And he said, I'm the way. And people object to that. Well, there should be other ways to God. And, and Jesus said, no, I'm the way. And my perspective is this. At least there's a way. I'm glad there's a way. I don't need a bunch of ways because this way works for me. But if it doesn't work for you, I, I understand that. <clears throat> so after he said that, this is what he said. Verse, starting in verse 7. And of course, John wrote this down for us. If you had really known me, Jesus is speaking, you would know who my father is. If you knew me, you'd know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm sitting there listening to Jesus, I'm going to say, nobody's ever seen God. What are you talking about, right? Logical question. Now, when he says know me, he's not talking about know about me. This is a relationship word. You know, when you first date, start dating somebody, when I, 42 years ago when I started dating my wife, I didn't really know her. She was just some person that attracted my attention, right? You know, now I know her really well, and she knows me really well. 
So that's what he's talking about. As you have a relationship with somebody grows, you become to know them better. And he says, you know me, not just know about me. He says, if you had really known me, if you had a personal relationship, a history with me, you would know my father. It's kind of a strange thing to say. So the disciples are not understanding like they often didn't. And sometimes we don't when we read this stuff. And so Philip speaks up. Philip says, Lord, just, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. You know, just have him show up here. You know, for just, you know, 10 seconds. Say hi and then he could go by and then we'd be satisfied, all right? We'd seen God, you know, we're happy. So Jesus said, okay. And he kind of scolds Philip a little bit. Um, and he tries to explain a little more clearly what he's talking about. And hopefully it'd help us. He said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? So we've been hanging out, you know, we've been talking, and you just see, you still don't get me, all right? <clears throat> Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Seen me, you've seen the Father. So we don't need the Father to show up because you have me. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Now, <clears throat> Paul described it this way in a, in a letter he wrote to the, uh, we call Colossians. In 1.15 he says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. See, God's invisible. So you can't see God so Jesus came for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons was so we could see what God was like. Because kind of, I admit, the Old Testament is kind of hard to figure out what God's like. But Jesus said, okay, just look at me, and what you see in me is the Father. I'm a reflection of the Father. I'm a stamped mark of the Father. Uh, we're identical. We, I, I'm God as he is God. Now, I tried to think of an illustration, and I didn't have anybody ask me, tell me after the first service if it was helpful or not. But here's my illustration. <clears throat> On a hot summer day, the humidity is 90 plus percent, right? What does that mean? There's this water vapor in the air, but you can't see it, right? Can't see it. Then it rains, right? The water vapor and the rain is the exact same thing, right? I couldn't see the water vapor. I can see the rain. I can't see God, but I can see Jesus. All right. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but <laughs> that's my attempt. So I'm the exact same thing. Can't see God, but you can see me. He goes on. Don't you believe that I am the I in the Father and the Father is in me? And that's kind of, well, not really, and we're not quite sure about that, right? Then he says this, the words I speak are not my own. So I am not just spouting off my opinions about stuff. <laughs> the words I say are not my own. But my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So I summarized this best I could on your, on your outline. If you want to know what God says, listen to me. It's, you know, I'm speaking. It's not even I'm speaking for God. I am God speaking. <laughs> but I'm in the flesh so you can see me, so you can actually hear with your ears. And then he said, if you want to know what God is up to, watch me. The stuff I do is what God is doing. Or if God was here, God is here, but if you, know, if you don't believe so, if God was here, this would be what God would be doing. But I am God, so this is what God 
does. So then he, he goes on. I think this last verse we're going to cover. And this, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, again, that's kind of faith in faith, right? Uh, you know, how am I going to believe that? So then he made it easier for them and maybe for us. He says, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. Okay, so we're going to do away with the faith in faith. Just watch and listen and come to your own conclusion. Observe. This is actual evidence of what I'm saying. And if the evidence doesn't prove it true, then you don't have to believe. So believe because of what you've seen, observe, and experience. So what's God like? Seeing is believing, but believing is also seeing, but that's another issue. Now, I believe that, we, that what we know about God is all we need to know about God. We can't know everything about God because we would be God and none of us are God. So I, we have more than enough to know what we need to know about God. So we're going to just look at three things. Again, starting with a clean slate. I don't know anything about God. So what do I, what, what's John going to tell us about God? Well, actually, Jesus tells us this first one. First he says, God is spirit. Okay? God is not material. God is spirit. Now, this, this, this comes about in, in John chapter 4. He t- tells us a story about, we call her the woman at the well. She had a name. We just don't know what her name was. And uh, she's a Samaritan. They had different beliefs. They were kind of like half-breed Jewish people. And... Uh, Jews hated the Samaritans, vice versa. And they're having this debate to this argument. Can you imagine trying to out-debate Jesus? Kind of funny, right? The religious leaders tried it all the time, and Jesus just, you know, destroyed them. But he's being overly compassionate to this lady that normally a Jew wouldn't even give, you know, the time of day, wouldn't even associate with. And so he's trying to help her understand. And here's what he says. This is verse 24. It's all we're going to look at in the story. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there's a sense about Christianity and religion and God that is spiritual, that is, we would say, immaterial. You can't see or touch or feel, right? Now this is the fascinating thing. There was no other religions in the first century that believed this. All their gods were material. I mean, the Roman gods would have relationships with women on earth and they have children. That's how material they believe. And they have, all religions have these idols. These would be physical representations of their gods. All other religions. But this crazy Judaism had this belief in this God that was spiritual. It wasn't material. He was, you might say, above the natural realm. So, first thing we can know about God is that God is not Material, that he's spiritual, that he's, you know, wholly other, we would say. Something different. All right, what else can we learn about God? So we know he's spirit. What else do we know about God? Secondly, God is Father. <clears throat> God is Father. That seems to be kind of contradictory to the first one, right? Fathers are material. You can touch them. You can see them. You can uh, interact with them. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. That God is spirit, that's his you know, physical manifestation, but you and I can relate to him in this level as a father, a loving, loving father. In fact, the disciples watch Jesus praying and this 
stuff would happen and they would pray and nothing would happen. And finally I said, well, well, why don't we ask Jesus <laughs> how to pray? And so this was recorded for us. And his response was this. <clears throat> this is in uh, Luke. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Or this is how you should start your prayer. Father. But he's spirit. Well, yeah, he's spirit, but you can relate to him. Just like you can relate to your father here on earth. Uh, 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 close interpersonal relationships. I'm going to ask you kind of a trick question. What sex is God? What's, what nationality is God? Now, all of us have pictures of God in our heads, and we would say we think it's one thing or another. Now, one of the things that really bugs me about the church is we just seem to want to put everything down, especially creativity and the arts. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have either seen the movie or read the book, The Shack? Well, a couple of you. I think it's like uh, sold 10 million copies or something, a lot. Anyway, but when that book came out, there was all this backlash from the church about, oh, this is, this is heresy. But wait a minute, wait a minute. The author was trying to get across some points, and I think this is where we're going here, relationship points, all right? And so we'll show you the, kind of a, you know, preview of the movie and then we'll talk about it in a minute. It didn't have that one cool scene where him and Jesus are running across the water. That's a neat scene in there. I, I love the movie. Do I have some problems with some things in it? Sure. But what is, what is the point? Jesus showed, God shows up as a woman, black woman. God shows up as a, a, an older American Indian male. God is spirit. He's not male. He's not female. In fact, in Genesis, God said he created man and woman in his image. So how could man be an image and woman be in his image unless God was obviously sexless and he's also cultureless. He's not, he has no ethnicity. Again, he is spirit, right? But we can relate to him as intimately as we can to our loving father. Now, John, who saw, saw all kinds of bloodshed, saw all kinds of persecution, probably had seen the destruction of the temple or knew about the destruction of the temple by the time he wrote what we're going to read uh, next. And uh, he was actually, <laughs> the Romans had been killing Christians, especially religious leaders, and they'd kill, kill one and a dozen would spring up. So they, got, they thought they got wiser. They got wiser and they said, okay, John, we're not going to kill you. We don't want more of you to show up. So we'll just... Ex, ex, uh, exile you to his island. And so consequently, he got to write some part, things that we put in our, what we call the Bible. 
So John's sitting down later in life after seeing all this bloodshed and persecution, and he said, how am I going to describe God? And here's what he said. God is love. God is love. You know what God is like? This is the best I can do. This is the best I can describe. God is love. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Now, this is funny for, not funny, but strange for Jewish people because Jews thought they were the chosen people that got described as the chosen people, which they thought meant God loves us, but not everybody else, okay? They're called Gentiles, people that weren't Jews. God loves us, we're his chosen people, we didn't love everybody else. So John's trying to clarify this, and here's what he says. We're just going to look at two verses here, and, and we'll wrap this up. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. Not that God is loving. God is love. It's his nature. He can't be anything else. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So, Jesus, during his teaching, taught a lot of stuff, and, and uh, his disciples didn't understand a lot of it, and they probably forgot some of it, and so forth. So, Jesus kind of wanted them to make sure they got the main thing that's the main thing, right? So, what's the main thing about about being a Jesus follower. And he said, this is it. I'm going to boil it down to you in a couple of words. Love one another. This is the mark of a Jesus follower. Not that they go to church on Sunday, which is great. Not that they read their Bibles, which we should do. and Not that even that you pray, that you love one another. Now why, of all the things that could mark a Christian, why is love the thing? It's really not that complicated. Because it reflects the nature of God, right? God is love, so you and I should be love personified. And then, some of you have heard me speak before. Notice one of my favorite verses in Scripture, 1 John 4, 18. says this, This kind of love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. I don't love my wife perfectly, or she doesn't love me perfectly, but I don't fear my wife at all. And most of you that are married don't. Don't fear your, your, your wife at all. But if we had perfect love, we certainly wouldn't fear, right? If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. So when I have fear, when I have worries, when I have anxiety and stress and all that kind of stuff, I'm not living in God's perfect love. I'm not experiencing it perfectly because when I do, I have this sense of, I like the word peace. Doesn't matter what's going on. I just have this peace. Because God loves me perfectly. This holy other that spirit that I can relate to as a father loves me, we use this word, unconditionally. We use an illustration here and then we'll wrap this up. Shade requires the sun. Well, Pastor, what's that got to do with what we're talking about? <laughs> Hold on, just a minute. You can have sun without shade, but you can't have shade without sun. It's just... It's just just the way it is, right? So you got to have the, the brighter thing, the greater thing you can get there before you can have the lesser thing. It's another way to say this is, is you got to have good before you can have evil. If there's no good, then everything's just everything. There's no good or evil. Another way on your outline it says this, love must necessarily then pre-exist unlove. I know unlove's not a word, but you, you, you understand, right? So if love exists, then unlove 
or lack of love can exist. Without love, then there's no unlove. So anytime you say, that's right or that's not right, where does that come from? Where is there a sense of right and wrong? Or if we say, God, I just believe God loves everybody. Well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that God is love. He is the sun, even if we want to be in the shade. This is kind of what we're going to talk about next week. Why is there evil in the world? That's one big objection, and maybe some of you, your objection to this whole Christianity thing, right? If God's going to allow all this evil stuff in the world, then I'm not going to be a believer. But here's a better question. Why do you know there is evil in the world? Why do you know there's shade? Because there's sun. Why do you know the world is broken? Why do you, how do you know you're broken? Why do we say things like, I ought to do this? Or why do I feel guilty when I don't do this? Because there's an ought that I don't even do. You don't have to be a Christian, just all of us. I ought to be a better husband, Right? better father, just better citizen of, of the world. Where, where does that concept come from? Again, you can't have shade without sun. Then we use this term, nobody's perfect. Well, why do we even use that word perfect? Where does the concept of perfection come from? This ought, this thing that we fall short of. And the simple answer is, it comes from God, it comes from this perfect love that preceded us. Without that love, there would be no awe. Without that sun, there would be no shade. So again, clean slate about God. What do we know about God from what Jesus told us? Don't get bogged down in some of that Old Testament stuff we can't understand. I don't even understand some of it. First, God is spirit. Something we can't really comprehend. But uh, it's fascinating in our in our society today we would understand that God would be spirit we believe in that you know that uh, call it the big bang right we would say what caused the big bang we would say God did science doesn't have an answer so God was before time space and material he was spirit he is father he wants to have this close personal Interpersonal relationship with you and I. No barriers. Completely open relationship. And then he's love. Perfect love. Unconditional love. So it all starts with Jesus. Other stuff we can get bogged down to? Let's just start when we need to start. Start with Jesus. Now I'll give you, give you some homework this week. Here we go. You don't have a Bible or you can't get a Bible app, whatever. We'll give you a Bible, whatever. Re- look up this, this part of Isaiah 53 and just read it and say, okay, who in history would that describe? And then I'm going to suggest you read the book of John. And it's really not a book. It's like a chapter of a book. <laughs> it's like 25 pages. You can read it in an hour. And don't read it with all, trying to figure out all the details. It's, it's an easy read. It's got some interesting stories in it. Um... Well, near the end it gets a little tough. But um, What did I learn about the Father from the Son? Just read it with that question in mind. Because we believe there's a lot at stake here. If you're a nun, N-O-N-E-S, 
your life could be much better and you could be better at life as a Jesus follower. You could have that peace, <clears throat> experience that perfect love. Now hopefully you'll take this seriously and do some work because it's too important just to stay stuck in the middle. And that's why we want to encourage you to reconsider faith. So we're going to talk about good and evil next week so you don't want to miss next week. Let's pray and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for what he has to teach us about you. It's so much clearer now than, than it was for the Old Testament folks, and uh, we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you that uh, we have such reliable information that's been preserved and miraculously preserved for 2,000 years. So we have an accurate account of Jesus. So we don't have to put faith in faith, but we can put faith in the facts. And God, I want to just pray for anyone here that we consider themselves a nun, that they're kind of stuck in between. They would at least reconsider. Maybe try and start with a clean slate. Maybe you got some baggage from their childhood, uh, misconceptions. Just, just start from the basics and, and just, just reconsider. And God, we're here to help. Uh, hopefully they'll reach out to a friend, someone here uh, with questions. We love questions. We don't always have the answer, but we love questions. Jesus answered questions all the time. So we thank you in the name of Jesus. We pray, amen.